and welcome to Big Business Briefs with me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. Now, I have a bit of a confession this week, Tracy. Yeah? I'm not terribly well prepared. Well, nothing, <laughs> nothing new there. It's often one of us. It's normally me, isn't it? So, to be fair. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm telling you now, if I sound like I don't know what I'm talking about, it's probably because I don't really know what I'm talking about. Fair enough. And, and I sound like I've potentially got new dentures in because I'm wearing a retainer and it's day one of a new plate and uh, I'm, I'm spitting all over the place. Yes, afraid, it's, a, so it's not great from a COVID point of view. <laughs> sorry about that. Okay, we were, we were going to talk about um, Elizabeth Holmes. So this is uh, a couple of weeks old now, this story. And um, she was found guilty on four counts of fraud. Uh, the business that she founded was called Theranos, and that's not easy to say with a retainer <laughs> in. Um, and her aim was to disrupt conventional blood testing. What she appears to have disrupted is um, the uh, investors uh, yeah. that, that have put lots of money into this business, which at one point was stated to be worth $9 billion, uh, and it actually seems that the technology behind it just doesn't work and there was quite a bit of cover-up going on and it sounded really quite interesting and of all the places to find out a little bit more about it I didn't expect it to be a, an article about cell cultured meat did you? No uh, the, the article's in Forbes isn't it and it's it's the, the title is five lessons cell cultured meat companies can learn from the Theranos verdict. Now it's not an obvious no but but it is very much around that investment isn't it because yeah the 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 the, the non-meat meat is it's the new black isn't it yeah and and the, clearly there's a lot of investment going into that mm. that new area but uh, let's give a name check to the article writer and michelle simon yeah uh, wrote this article on forbes and although it is about cell cultured meat um they're disrupting the meat industry what really interested me was how upset some white middle-aged maybe older um middle-class men were about having lost their investments to a young lady mm. and I, I i was interested uh, to question myself as to whether um they would have responded quite so aggressively to the fraud if it had been somebody like themselves, i.e. not female and not young. Yeah, I I wonder whether it's a little bit of rubbing salt in the wound if you are of that mindset. Yeah. Because because you could argue that she um she played a blinder. <laughs> think it's anything different to a lot of tech companies that are disrupting the industry now we know we've heard of loads of companies they've got these massive multi-billion dollar valuations but no real assets their ideas it's tech it's pushing the boundaries and investors are quite keen to to win some money on these disruption um sort of ideas so yeah, I think there's plenty of them around. Yeah, I think if you've got if you've got a lot of money and you're not, and you've got enough money that you don't need to be totally risk averse. You know, you've got you've got some money to play with, for want of a better yeah. word. 
then you can be quite bullish and because you never know it's just unfortunate that actually and but, but in her defense um she she kind of thought that we'll get the investment up front and then it, it will work itself out you know that's the sort of argument yeah. that she was putting forward that it will come good but we it's chicken and the egg and yeah, excuse the pun with the the, the, the meat thing. <laughs> um, it you know we need the investment up front in order to achieve, which what, is what a lot of tech companies do, yeah, isn't yeah, it? And yeah. and and pharmacy do that as well, don't you? So yeah. developing, um, if you if you went right the way back to the beginning, a big farmer, somebody had to invest before they invented the first big um, cash cow, didn't yeah. they? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Having said that, she was found guilty on all counts of fraud. Yes, yeah. yeah. And yeah. this article talks about things that the cell-cultured meat sector could learn, but I actually think it goes a little bit beyond cell-cultured meat. And to anybody who's moving into an uncharted territory and is disrupting an industry or thinking of investing in a company that's claiming to disrupt. I think some of the um, five takeaways that Michelle came up with are really relevant. Before we go into those, can I just say one thing? Sitting mm. here, you're a vegetarian. That's true. I'm a, I'm a meat eater. I don't like the term... Cell-cultured meat. I, it makes I, me feel more squeamish than it does about eating meat. I don't like cell-cultured meat. I don't like anything that tries to resemble meat anyway so it's not disrupting anything for me if i have a veggie burger i want it to very clearly look like it was veg and not meat yeah and okay. the point of cell cultured meat is it's just replacing the farming yeah as opposed to the the product itself it's trying to make it as close to an animal and, and yeah really i don't want to eat animals so i don't want to eat things that are like animals or look like animals or no, I get that. I get that. I just, it just, I don't know. When I was Cell reading about it, it just feels I'm, test tube meat. I'm a hypocrite, but yeah, <laughs> it it does just seem a little bit like kind of what is it? I don't know. Uh, for me, being a non meaty, so the biggest hypocrites are the ones that say could eat um, a cow or a sheep or a pig, but couldn't eat rabbit or deer or dog or cat. Yeah, well, well I'm oh, one of those. Yeah. <laughs> Although I don't eat lamb because lambs are so cute. But it wouldn't actually take very much to push me to the vegetarian side of things. But the more they talk about cell... What, what's the term? Cell culture. Cell culture. I think it's the word... So can I just challenge it? Are cows not cute? They are, but... But little lambs... Little lambs? Have you seen big mangy sheep? Though? Oh, yeah. That's no, scary. I know, I know, but it's just those little lambs. <laughs> okay. But that's a whole nother... Yeah, no, we're, we're talking about Theranos here. <laughs> yes, yeah. And how, how if you are disrupting the meat industry by growing things in Petri dishes and turning them into things that look like burgers, yeah. well, there are things that you could learn from that. Yeah. So um, the first one on here, you've already mentioned, Heather, you, you said that um, Elizabeth Holmes thought that eventually it would come good. And, and the takeaway here from Michelle is you cannot endlessly rely on future hopes and dreams. And so she said she wasn't intending to defraud, knew the technology wasn't currently working, but that it would improve. 
And this is where Michelle in the Forbes article is saying, you can't really rely on that as a defence. No, and how could you prove it, actually? You know, how can you prove that you genuinely thought that rather than, oh, I just thought I'd have the money and see, where, see how long it carried on for? <laughs> I guess there's a certain amount of luck involved in that yeah. as to whether you get found out. It's one of those classic cases, isn't it, where you're apologising not for what you've done but the fact that you got found out yes. for what you've yeah. done. You've well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's very topical, this Very week. topical, yes. Okay, so, yeah, so the next one... Um, Item two is you can commit fraud even if you rely on scientists. So one of the things that Holmes tried to say was it, who was, it was her scientists that were at fault um, or anybody else within the company actually because, you know, they weren't, they weren't doing what they were meant to be doing. They weren't making it happen. I've got to say that's the shittest defence. <laughs> that's passing the book, blaming somebody else, isn't it? Yeah. That that one, I've, I've got no respect for that defence at all. And and, and and it was rejected on the basis that actually it kind of doesn't matter. Um, you have ultimate responsibility. If you are, if you're rocking up and asking for money for your company, then... Yeah, you, ultimately you're responsible, exactly, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. If yeah. you if you haven't hired the right scientists or you're not managing the scientists, then that's your problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So they say that you know you do need to have scientists who know what they're actually doing, and you have to listen to them when they warn you about problems. And yeah. I think that's true in any business. Often a CEO doesn't really want to hear what doesn't sit with their modus operandi well, yeah. what let's jump to point four before we come to point three then because that fits in is um um the, the point four says that firing and threatening employees is never a good strategy and apparently there was a big red flag um when Theranos started to threaten employees and um there were whistleblowers um you know essentially that hmm, it's not a good sign but maybe people weren't looking for it no, absolutely, yeah, and, and and I think it's it was actually two employees who became the whistleblowers who then exposed what was going on. So um, it's a fair play to them, yeah. But scary, you yeah. Know, I mean, what, whether they'd left their jobs and used the whistleblowing um, cover, you, you just don't know. But if you're employed, you need your job. Um, sticking your head above the parapet and going, do you know what? I think this is. Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to be good, is it, on a Friday morning? So back to point three yeah, then. Yeah. Um, so attracting high-profile investors and board members will not save you. So you might have heard in the, the news reports um, the likes of um, George Schultz and mm-hmm. Rupert Murdoch and Henry Kissinger. Uh, they've lost some money as early investors. Um, but... Referring back to the cell-cultured meat industry now. Yep. Um, and then the article points to Leonardo DiCaprio as an investor in that area. And she basically says here, and I sort of agree, just because you've got high-profile investors doesn't mean to say that it's a good idea. No. Or that it's going to work. But it's that classic example of being able to walk into a room and say, I've got Rupert Murdoch on board. It's almost endorsing the you know the credibility yeah. of, which it isn't actually but but you know you it's that classic bluff you know oh well you know, oh every, you know everybody's buying tickets everybody you know we've got all every anybody who's anybody's going to be yeah. there and you have 
haven't sold any tickets. But I suppose that you you would then potentially you should then potentially say, oh, what does Rupert Murdoch know about blood yeah. Um, technology? Yeah, not yeah. But then again, he has got experts who you know he's got enough money to pay somebody to look into it for him. So I but, don't know. But and that goes back to the whole. You know the the big um, the big upset is that people haven't really done due diligence. They've just invested, yeah, because they're attracted by the what if, yeah, where you would expect some of these people to actually have somebody all over everything before they write their check. Yeah, and then the last one, um, apparently, um, that one of the reasons <laughs> for, for not um, sharing details with reporters who were trying to investigate this was that she was protecting trade secrets and. Um, she even made this claim to withhold key information from the board and their partners. Now, that is a red flag, isn't it? Totally. Reporters, I can almost... Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, there are trade secrets, aren't there? But if the board can't know that, then there's something well dodged going on there. But then, you know, as a board member, if somebody says, oh, well, I can't tell you about that because it's a trade secret, you're like, well, hang on a minute. I'm in the business. Uh, I am the business. What's the implication for me? And lo and behold, here we are. Suddenly, you're a member of a board of a company that's run by a fraudster. So, finally, the biggest lessons um, that Michelle says is um, raising insane amounts of money from gullible investors does not mean you have a viable business Mm -hmm. model. Mm -hmm. And and that's uh, a really important point, isn't it? I mean, nobody would have thought to say potentially that Henry Kissinger, George Schultz and um, Robert uh, Rupert Murdoch were were gullible, but clearly they they were taken in by the story they were given. Whether that makes them gullible or not, I'm not sure. But yeah, it doesn't mean that it's actually a good business model. So, um, I think one thing that's very clear at the start of the article, um, Michelle talks about how um, you know what a good self publicist. Hmm. She actually, it says that she even wore black polo neck jumpers to like Steve, Steve Jobs, Jobs yeah. you know, and that people thought she was going to be the next Steve yeah. Jobs. But she was on Forbes lists. Yeah. 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 So she, see, if you were going to look her up, you'd go, oh, yeah, she's legit. Yeah. Because she's appearing in all the right places, looking the part, talking the talk. Not quite walking the walk. Yeah, it's not good, is it? It's anyway, I thought it was a really good article. That um, of all the news articles that we'd been reading about Elizabeth Holmes, that actually summed it up for me. And it yeah. was about cell cultured meat industry. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> but thank you very much to Forbes for, for that article. And also, I think what's great about the article is it gave a little bit of clarity to what has actually gone on. I found it quite, you know, because it's such a, a massive story. Actually, it honed in on what yeah um, it did what's yeah. actually going on so what was important there so our review this week yeah you sent us to a website heather um realbusiness.co.uk sounding terribly um professional and grown up real business yeah. as opposed to pretend business yeah um i gotta say when i first went on the website i went oh what she sent me to because i clicked on the about us link and i got a Warning, website suspicious. This site looks a little too risky for us, so we flagged it just in case. And for some reason, the the link I clicked was taking me to best-winplace.life. But then when I I went um, back and 
clicked uh, another link, it took me to the normal website. So I don't know what that was about. Oh, gosh. But McAfee didn't like it. Okay. I've no idea what happened there. I've not had that problem. No. I just... Um, yeah, real business. So it's, 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 I think it's, it's got, it's talking about SMEs. It's, it's a magazine at, website. It's a magazine website it? yeah. and it's aimed at SMEs. But I think that there's some, you know, some, some stuff in there that applies to just in general, just general business information. So I think it's, um, I, I, I like the way it's laid out and I like the content. It has interviews, it has opinion, it's got new stories. Um, in fact, I think that, um, you know, they, they went large on the, um, where, where was it? Of course, because actually they populate quite a lot. So things sort of move, move down. Um, what have I got? Um, the top 10 UK business podcasts for entrepreneurs, which we might want to have a look at. Are we on there though? Are we? Are we? Uh, <laughs> if we aren't. We should be. If we aren't, we should be. Um, dealing with imposter syndrome. We've talked about that before. How to start a cleaning business, streamlining your business, what you can claim as expenses if you're self-employed. So some really practical stuff. It struck me as a sort of website that if you were doing a Google search on a particular topic, then one of those articles might pop up. I'm not sure you would think immediately to go to that website to look for that information. No, no, good point. But they do have a newsletter, actually, which you can sign up for, which is free. Yeah. So that sometimes, I know we have millions of emails dropping into our mailbox, you know, it's... Yeah, it's, it's about time I actually started cutting them down and started really. to build them again. It, yeah. It, yeah, but but I think that given the volume of content that they have, that could be quite a nice way of, of cutting through to some of the things that are actually relevant. But yeah, I mean, they had the story about Elizabeth Holmes... Um, how to make the most out of the new year, you know, so thinking about, um, you know, motivating you and, and you know, helping you to think about what the year ahead has. But then it also has information about employment tribunals, you know, sort of more in-depth. Like you say, it's, it's broad for it's, an SME. Yes, yeah. I think it is. Yeah. I think it is. I, I persisted with clicking on About Us so okay. I could find out About Us. Yeah. And I did get it without the suspicious link pop-up. Um, and... Um, it says that real business has been around since 1997. Now I'm guessing that wasn't a website in 97. Might have been, but was it a Might print? printed media. Yeah. yeah, could well have been. Yeah. Or maybe emails. Not, not so many people did emails in 1997. A few of us did. Yeah, you know. I'd expect it yeah. to be print. But... Um, and I found out a, a company, Prosper Media Limited, based in Finchley Road, London. So I went and had a, a quick, quick look. Um, and its parent company is Prosper Limited. And it's based in the Isle of Man. Uh, directors Michael Wilson and Gerald Bradley, they're residents of the Isle of Man. Um, the company balance sheet was almost minus 400,000. Um, but I didn't. I suspected that didn't mean that the business was in trouble. There appeared to be um, some debt owed to group companies, so presumably right. just the the way the business is structured. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, Prosper Squared Media. Um, yeah, with a little two at the top, Prosper Two. Um, yeah, and uh, real business is um, part of Prosper Brackets Media Limited. 
So yeah, I thought it was a nice, clean, tidy website. Lots of information on there. Um, not my first thought where I'd go to get business information, but if you were going to get into the habit of, you know, just browsing through some news articles, I think you could do a lot worse mm. than that. And as I say, I think that the newsletter would help with that. Lo and behold, they've got an article, Are Print Magazines Still Viable in Our Increasingly Digital Lifestyles? Are they so that's indeed? from January. Uh, they haven't talked about um, uh, their own experience, um, talking about people not perhaps producing as frequently, so reducing the number. Um, but they say that magazines should and will embrace, embrace growth. Oh, God. <laughs> You're the one with the, the, yeah. the brace. Um, will embrace both print and digital strategies to find success in the fast-paced world of commercial publishing. We talked about Freelancer magazine, which is published. And we really liked having um, that in our yeah, sticky mix, so, didn't we? So, yeah. yeah, but it's just interesting that they've actually written an article about it. You would expect that they probably um, um, know their stuff when it comes to that, which is why they're online. Yeah. So that's realbusiness.co.uk, worth a look at um, if you're an SME based in the UK. Yeah, yeah, and that, yeah. That's another thing. It is UK based, yeah. so often you find these things, and it's US, isn't it? Yeah. So then we we went to profile a couple of rich guys, and they <laughs> they they popped up on the Sunday Times rich list, and we can't resist a quick gander at the Sunday Times rich list, can we? Um, uh, they they're pretty much towards the top of that list, and uh, that would be David and Simon Rubin. Um, Born in Bombay, sons of David Sassoon Rubin and Nancy Rubin, a Baghdadi Jewish family. That's a cultural mix. Mm, it is, yeah. It um, is. And they moved to London in the 1950s um, and lived in Islington, apparently. Um, and they both went to state schools. Um, it doesn't say what David achieved with his education, but Simon is very open and honest that he did not complete a formal education that seems to have not held him back no. at all no. in, in the um, prosperity stakes. Well, last week we were looking at the New Year's Honours list and some of the um, the retail um, CEOs who'd made their way onto that list. And um, it's quite interesting that these two brothers are very friendly with the Tory party. Um, they're regular donors. Uh, it's thought that they've um, donated £750,000 in the time that Boris has been Prime Minister um, and over a number of years. That's small change compared to their actual £1.9 million. Uh, well, I think... No, I think... Uh, did I see that they've actually given... That's just in the time that Boris has been... Oh, just been in, in that time. Yeah, yeah, I think they're meant to have given about almost £2 million. There we go. Their family, the brothers, their family members, and businesses have donated or combined one point nine million to the Tories. Okay. Um, yeah, and they shared a table with Boris Johnson at an exclusive Tory party fundraising dinner. Um, and lo and behold, as some of these things are happening, it's announced that HMRC is going to be um, relocated to a building in Newcastle which just happens to be owned by 
The Reuben Brothers. Oh, yeah. I wonder how that happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is what really attracted me um, when, when we were skimming through it. I thought, I, I don't really know much about them. Why would I be interested? And then I saw some of the properties that they own. And I thought, right, okay. So these are... Um, the family is, is very private, so there's not a lot about them, um, and they, they will openly admit that there was an article with one of the sons um, in, I think it was in Tatler, and it was reported on in Times, because it's such a rare thing to get interviews with the Rubin family. So they are quite private. However, the properties that they own are very much in the public eye. Millbank Tower, um, I think Conservative headquarters is there, isn't it? Yep. Well, well. The John Lewis Partnership headquarters in Victoria, American Express offices also in Victoria, Carlton House, um, Academy House on Sackville Street, Connaught House on Barclay Square, Market Towers, the London Primark um, store in Oxford Street, Sloan Street Shops, Cambridge House. Um, they've got uh, Park Plaza Hotels and Resorts, which is a joint venture. Um, oh, there's all sorts of stuff going on. I think if there's property around London, then you can um, hazard a guess that they they potentially own some of that. But the background, again, interested me. So the properties, I thought, oh, I know some of those buildings. They're owned by them. But David Rubin started his business in scrap metal. Okay. And um, I'm, I'm involved in the aluminium industry. Um, we we um, recycle scrap aluminium. And he was actually involved in the aluminium trade um, dur during his early career. And that's how he made quite a bit of money, I believe. Um, that, that was his area. Um, and let's have a look. Um, got into um, business with a number of investors um including ones in russia and kazakhstan in the 1990s a company called trans world um yeah so that was david he's um let's have a look according to forbes he was 83 he lives in london and he's married with one child according to this he resides part-time in monaco and florida and then simon Let's have a look. He's 80, so he's the younger brother. And he lives in Monaco. And he's married with one child as well, according to Forbes. Apologies if any of that detail is wrong. Please blame Forbes for that. <laughs> but one thing, I mean, they are getting on a little bit. Um, but uh, there's a photo of them that I've come across. It looks like they might have had a bit of work done. They can afford it. <laughs> However... I always like to see if people have got a lot of money, do they do any good with their money? Okay. And they they um they have something called the Rubin Foundation, which is focused on the advancement of healthcare and education. And they founded the Nancy Rubin Primary School, which is an independent Jewish day school in Hendon, in honour of their their mother. Um, they uh, the foundations donated eighty million pounds to support the creation of Rubin College, Oxford. Um, which was originally called Parks College, uh, and that um, college will be a postgrad focused on climate change, artificial intelligence, and cellular life. So, um, yeah, they're not just sitting on their uh, 36 billion, is it? Uh, it's, it is always interesting to see what, what they're doing with some of that money. 
No, 16 billion, I do beg your pardon. I do beg your pardon. But, um, yeah, again, not people that you normally come across. If you go to Mayfair in London, then you can pretty much uh, assume that they own the properties around there. Right. Um, And, you know, a few of the bigger properties around Victoria, clearly, and Millbank. But, yeah, you won't read much about them in the press. Yeah, because they are, as you say, quite a private family. Although then the son does get an interview in Tatler. Yes, true. (laughs) (laughs) And Tatler and Times were quite taken with the fact that he was not married. Uh, And that would, I'm I'm imagining his wealth would make him quite an eligible bachelor. (laughs) Okay, so yeah, David and Simon Rubin. And uh, that's our profile for this week. My lips hurt and I'm slobbering. Apart from that, I'm good. Apart from that, all is good in the world. Mm-hmm.